Well, as we continue in Exodus, we uh, remain this week in uh, part of what we covered last week, Exodus chapter 12, looking at the, the feast, the festival of Passover that God instituted. And, uh, and this morning in particular, we want to look at two features of this feast that I think have special significance for us as Christians. Um, again, it's something that maybe if you haven't, you know, read through Exodus yourself, maybe you're, you're not really familiar with or haven't thought of much, but it's something that is very pregnant with meaning, that is very important for us as Christians to understand. And so what I want to look at particularly this morning is how in the Passover feast that the people of Israel were to celebrate, they were to eat the whole lamb uh, that very night. They weren't to leave anything left over. And also they were to eat unleavened bread. And so, of course, to us, you know, these two things like, well, why? Why does that matter? Why is that important? Um, and yet, I think we'll see as we look at Exodus 12 and as we look at how these themes of Exodus 12 are carried throughout Scripture, I think we'll see that they're very important for us today. And so first, Sarah will come and read for us from the first part of Exodus 12 about the, the slaughter of the lamb and how they are to eat that. And then Matt will come and finish our reading from Exodus 12 about the unleavened bread that the people are supposed to eat. And then lastly, uh, Jay will come up for us and he'll read Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, which is kind of a counterpoint to Exodus 12, the theme of rest instead of, instead of the theme of hurry and haste. Um, so if uh, you would come now, Sarah, to begin for us the reading of God's word. Exodus 12. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall not let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a fast, as a feast, sorry. (laughs) Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. 
On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you out, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days, no leavened bread is to be no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, again, when we come to this chapter of Exodus, we see these very specific instructions about days and leaven and lambs and all of these things. And of course, it does seem very foreign to us. It's very different than our New Testament faith. It's new wine and new wineskins. And yet we know that these former things were written down for our instruction. There is richness here that we should be able to see and understand so that we can appreciate the fullness of what Christ himself has done for us. And so that's what I hope to do this morning as we look at Exodus chapter 12. Now, first, I just want to make sure we all understand what's going on here in Exodus chapter 12. We read it together, but just to summarize or recap, what's happening is the Lord is just about to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt, and he's going to deliver them through this final plague where he is going to kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and he's not going to kill the Israelites. But the way in which he's not going to kill the Israelites is because he tells them to kill a lamb instead. And so the Israelites are supposed to kill a lamb. They're supposed to put the blood of the lamb over their door. And God says, if you do that, if you put the blood of the lamb over your door, then I will pass over you and I will not kill the firstborn of your land. Now, in order to remember this or in order to to celebrate this, the people of Israel are supposed to eat this lamb that they kill and whose blood they put over their door. And they're also supposed to eat unleavened bread. So we looked last week at the reality that God said that this celebration, that this feast is going to mark for them the beginning of a new year, right? This is a whole new calendar for them. And so as we saw last week, what that teaches us as those who have trusted in Christ is that the cross itself, God's Passover of us, is supposed to be central in our lives. We're supposed to remember it continually, even as the people of Israel remembered this continually at the first month of their calendar. Well, Marking this first month of the new year, God tells them that on the 10th day of the month, that's when they're supposed to take the lamb. That's what Exodus 12, 3 says. And then he says in verse 6 that on the 14th day, that's when they're supposed to kill the lamb. And then later on, starting in verse 14, he describes the feast of the unleavened bread. And he says the feast of the unleavened bread is supposed to start on the 14th day. 
So the day that they kill the lamb is the same day where they begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so these two feasts, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, overlap with one another in this way. And it's on that 14th day of the month, God says, that's the day you'll celebrate it because that is the day when I will bring you out of Egypt. That is the day when the angel of death will come, will kill all the firstborn of Egypt, and then the people of Egypt will cast you out. They'll tell you, you have to leave because you have brought so much death and destruction upon the nation of Egypt. So here in Exodus 12, verses 1 to 13, focus on that reality of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, and how they're to eat that lamb. And then verses 14 to 20, focus on the bread and how they are to eat that bread and what kind of bread they are to eat. Now, again, the question I want to ask this morning is what is the significance of these things? Why does it matter, right? This is the word of God, is it not? I mean, he is the wisest being in all of existence. All wisdom comes from him. Surely he does not just inspire these words just so we have interesting historical tidbits about what happened, right? Everything in these words has rich meaning. In fact, I'm sure these words have much deeper meaning than what I myself can perceive or understand or anyone else here. And yet there are some aspects of the meaning of this chapter that God chooses to make plain throughout the rest of the scriptures. And so it's those in particular that I want to look at to see how they provide lessons for us. So why did they have to eat the lamb in this way? And why did they have to eat the unleavened bread? Now, one reason for eating the unleavened bread is captured for us in a subtle way in verse 15. And so if you look at Exodus 12, verse 15, it says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. Remove leaven out of your houses. And so that word remove there signals for us that what they're doing is they're getting rid of something that's old, right? And so one reason why their bread is to be unleavened is because this is a signal of a new beginning, of a new start, right? And that's what we looked at last week, right? A whole new calendar, a whole new creation, as it were, God is bringing about in this Passover. So they can't use this leftover food, this old leaven that they had before. They have to cast it out. And of course, when you cast out leaven, the only option then is to eat unleavened bread, right? Because bread takes time to rise. It takes time for leaven to work itself through the dough. You can't throw out all the leaven and eat leavened bread the next day. It takes too long. And that is the second significance of the unleavened bread and the one that I really want to focus on this morning. Now we see this significant ca- significance captured for us in verse 39 of chapter 12. So if you still have your Bibles o- open to Exodus 12, look at verse 39. It says, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Okay, so why could their bread not be leavened? Well, because they couldn't wait, because When the angel of death came and when it killed all the Egyptian firstborn, then they had to go out in a hurry. They didn't have time to just sit there and let their bread rise. And this is the second reason why the bread had to be unleavened, because they were in a hurry, because they had to get out. They couldn't sit there so that their bread could be thoroughly leavened. Now, with this, we see a lot of resonance with how they were to celebrate the lamb as well, do we not? In verse 10 of chapter 12, we see, you shall let 
none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. Again, why is that? Why couldn't they leave it till the morning? Well, because that very night they had to go out. They didn't have time to eat leftovers the next day. They had to eat the whole thing because they were in a hurry. And this is exactly what the next verse tells us. Verse 11 of chapter 12. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. You shall eat it in haste. Now, I know today maybe we take for granted eating in haste, right? We have fast food places on every corner. It's a whole category of dining, right? Well, in their time, they had no concept of fast food. Eating in haste was not something that they typically did. If you were going to eat a meal in ancient times, you better have hours and hours to prepare this meal because that was the only way to cook food. And so this was a very special meal for them. This was a very memorable thing, right, to eat standing up sandals on their feet, belt on their waist, staff in hand, like they're ready to go somewhere, right? Eating, you know, you can imagine this lamb leg with one hand, staff in the other hand, and they're ready to go, right? This is how they were to celebrate the Passover. They were to eat it in haste. Now, this idea of eating in haste, this kind of preparation for Exodus, this kind of preparation for departing the land of Egypt and going to the promised land carries over directly to the new covenant in Jesus Christ, right? We talked about last week that all who have trusted in Christ have been passed over by the angel of death, as it were, right? We have passed from death and to life. And in conjunction with just how the People of Israel were leaving Egypt and they were going into the promised land. That's what happened after the Passover. In the same way, we ourselves are leaving behind an old way of life, an old and dead way of life, and we are entering into newness of life, a new way of life. And so in that way, we see that this haste that they were to have as they eat, this kind of urgency, this readiness to go, is to identify us as believers as well. We are to leave behind the works of darkness. We are to leave behind the old life in haste. We're not to simply kind of wait around there for something else to happen. No, when we have seen the goodness of God, when we've seen the goodness of Jesus Christ, that is a signal for us to leave behind all that is old and to enter into all that is new. I love the words of Romans 13, verse 12. Paul says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Beloved, this is the calling of the whole of the Christian life. We all have sin that remains with us. We all have our old fleshly natures that are still with us. But the process of the Christian life is to put that to death, to leave behind these old ways of sin and death, and to embrace holiness and righteousness and truth and goodness and beauty and love and everything good that Christ won for us, that he has brought us into. Now, this idea of exiting from the old way of life and entering into the new way of life as a picture of what the people of Israel did as they exited Egypt is brought home for us, particularly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So I want to read for us just a few verses from there, 2 Corinthians 6. Verses 14 to 17. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? 
What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. So you see that charge There Paul is quoting the Old Testament, saying, Go out from their midst, be separate from them, touch no unclean thing, I will welcome you. You see how this is a call, just as the people of Israel were called to be ready to go out in haste, to have their sandals on their feet. This is a call to us as believers to have our sandals on our feet, to have our staff in our hands, and to go out from Egypt, to go out from the old way of life. Now, I do think so often as Christians, we don't consider the urgency that we are to have enough. One of the most startling verses in the New Testament to me, whenever I come across it, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 12, says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now, that sounds so foreign, right, to most of what we know of the New Testament, right? We're to be people of peace. We are to be people of love. And certainly the violence that Jesus is speaking of here is not talking about, you know, using swords or guns or anything like that. The violence that I think Jesus is talking about here is the violence which with, with which we are to put to death our old man. We are to put to death sin and all fleshliness in us. And the violence with which we are to embrace all the promises of God, hold tight to them, even when all the fallenness of the world, the mess of the world, the lies of the world seek to pry us away from the promises of God, make us doubt the goodness of God, that God really can do everything that he says, even despite all those things, we are to fight violently to hold on to the promises of God and the salvation that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. And again, we are to violently put to death the old man. We are to violently separate ourselves from the wickedness of the world so that we can embrace the fullness of what Christ has done for us. The Christian life is not, you know, a nice stroll through a park. It is not an easy calling. It is a hard calling. It is a fight each and every day. Now, there may be some days that by God's grace, he doesn't make as hard Not as many temptations come in our way. Not as many setbacks are experienced. But beloved, I believe those days are going to be few and far between. Most days that we live the Christian life, we have to be on guard. I've been reading uh, Harry Potter with my daughter, and I've just come across this character, Mad-Eye Moody, and one of the funny things about him is that he's kind of paranoid, and he screams these words, constant vigilance all the time because he's so afraid of, you know, the dark arts and the things that could go wrong. Well, that idea of constant vigilance should be a theme for the Christian life. There's nothing in our life that we should look at and we should say, oh, I can just take for granted that that's a good thing and I don't have to worry about being led astray in this way. No, we have to take every thought captive, Scripture says. Every thought that means there's not a single thought that enters our head where we're allowed to say, like, oh, that's just pure and innocent. I don't need to worry about that one. No, we have to exercise constant vigilance. We have to fight the good fight. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent will take it by force. And so, beloved, we must 
work hard. Now, that's the first way that this theme, this idea of the haste with which the people of Israel were to eat the Passover applies to us. We have to exit the old way of life with haste. We don't wait. We move. We move toward the light. And yet, there's also a very great and a very vast discontinuity between this idea of haste or hurry in the Old Testament and the salvation that we now have in Christ. Now, this is highlighted for us especially clearly by the prophet Isaiah. Now, before I read this verse from the prophet Isaiah, let me just go back to Exodus 12 one more time. Exodus 12, verse 11 says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. Well, now, listen to these words of Isaiah as he promises the new covenant, as he promises the coming of Jesus Christ. He says, Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of Yahweh. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For Yahweh will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, do you hear how contrasting that is, right? The Passover specifically says you are to eat this in haste, right? You are to be ready to go, shoes on your feet, ready to march out. And yet here Isaiah is promising a day that will come when you shall not go out in flight, and you shall not go out in haste. What's going on? Well, Isaiah himself closes that verse, Isaiah 52, 12, with an explanation. And he says, the God of Israel will be your rear guard. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So it's because God himself is somehow our rear guard that we don't have to go out in haste, that we don't have to hurry toward our salvation. Well, I believe that what Isaiah is pointing to here when he says that the God of Israel is our rear guard is he's pointing to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's pointing to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the point that I want to make now is that because the work of Jesus Christ truly is finished, because the salvation that Christ brings is already won because he's already accomplished it, therefore we are able to rest. We don't have to press hard. We don't have to haste. We can find true rest for our souls. Now, just how accomplished is this redemption of Jesus Christ? I mean, is there anything left to add to it? Or did Christ really accomplish everything necessary for our salvation? Well, the clear message of the New Testament from beginning to end is that Christ has done everything, that he has paid it all, that there is nothing left to be done in order for us to be saved. But rather, through simple faith in Jesus Christ, through simple looking to Jesus Christ and what he has done, can we be saved? Let me just point this out from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11, says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
Then, through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not made by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Do you hear that, beloved? He entered once for all into the holy places. That means there's no more sacrifice left to be made. And how did he do that? Not by the blood of goats and calves like they did with the Passover, right? But by means of his own blood. And because he shed his own blood, the blood of the only lamb that was ever truly spotless, because that blood has been shed, he secured for us an eternal redemption, as Hebrew says. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, He says that Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Beloved, he entered once for all. He shed his blood. He entered into God's very presence and his blood has been spread there. And therefore, by his blood and by that alone, we are welcomed in. And so you see, beloved, Jesus has already performed this exodus. He has already left behind the fallen world. He has already left behind sin, and he has entered into the true promised land, the very presence of the living God. And there, in that true promised land, he shed his own blood so that we can now enter into that very presence of God, not because of anything we ourselves do, Not because we have shoes on our feet and a staff in our hands, but because of what Christ has done. Because he already finished it. Because he has made atonement for our sins. Paul captures this in the climax of his argument in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he says, who is to condemn? Okay, who is to condemn? Who can condemn us? He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Beloved, this is what Christ has done. It is not at all your work. It is not at all something that you could possibly perform. You are not a spotless lamb. Your blood is defiled. My blood is defiled. Even the blood of the spotless lambs that they were to use for the Passover feast. I mean, on the exterior, yeah, they may have been spotless, but we know that nothing in this world can escape the defilement of sin. So this is why Christ had to come, because we required a perfect sacrifice, a perfect atonement to be made once for all. And only Christ is the perfect one. Only Christ is the God-man. And because he shed his blood in the very presence of God, in the throne room of God, as it were, we, therefore, are welcomed in to that place. And, beloved, because Christ has already done that, that means that by union with him, by union with him, that means that we are already there. 
It means that our exodus has already happened because it happened when Christ himself died and entered into the Holy of Holies. I mean, just, it's amazing to me as you look at all the promises of the New Testament, how many of these promises are given in the past tense, like they already happened. I mean, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, right, past tense, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, we already have all that through Jesus Christ. Or if you just read the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, let me just summarize some of the spiritual blessings that we already have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us, right? We already have all the blessings in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance is already ours. Ephesians 2.3, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's already been given. And then lastly, Ephesians 2.6, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Beloved, right now, you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I mean, I know physically we are all in this room, right? I'm not trying to deny that. But I'm saying that there is a deeper spiritual reality at work. If you have trusted in Christ, then you have been spiritually joined to him. And so your soul, even now, is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. It's been done. It's been accomplished. So, beloved, do you see why, if that's the case, if we are already there, then we don't have to have the sandals on our feet and the staff in our hands and the belt around our waist like we're ready to go somewhere. We're already there. We've made it through Jesus Christ. Not through any merit of our own, not through any action of our own, but by faith, by falling upon him in trust. This is precisely why when Jesus comes, he can speak the words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest that Jesus is talking about there is the rest of faith. Beloved, if you are in Christ, there is nothing more that is left for you to do. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all cleaned up. The outside of you, the way you live your life, the way other people see you, doesn't have to be all shiny and perfect because your standing before God is not on the basis of your own works. It is on the basis of Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness. And that means that we can rest. It means that we don't have the law, we don't have rules always kind of prodding us in the back, telling us, don't mess up. If you mess up, you're going you're gonna to be condemned. God's going to hate you. God's going to judge you. That's not how the Christian life works, beloved. 
When we come to Christ in faith, we see the smile of God, and that smile of God never leaves us for the rest of our lives. Not because we have somehow become perfect or beautiful or lovely or anything, but because we are seen in Christ, and Christ is perfect and beautiful and lovely to God the Father. And so, how do we put this together, right? Because like I said at the beginning of this message, we are to hasten our exit from Egypt, right? We are to hasten the death of sin and the, the putting to death of the old man, our exit from the world. And yet at the same time, we're to rest freely and fully in Jesus Christ. I think one of the verses that puts it together best is Philippians 3, verse 12. So let me read that for us. Philippians 3.12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, all right? So Paul says, I'm not there yet. I'm still working, right? I still am trying to put to death the old man. I'm still hastening my way out of Egypt. So not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Okay, so do, do you hear the urgency there in Paul's voice that he is pressing on? That he is, he is not just sitting still hoping that somehow he'll become more holy or he'll do what God wants him to do. No, he's pressing on with intention, with passion. He presses on to make it his own. But why does he do this? Does he do it because he has to be really good to please God? Does he do it because he just has a really guilty conscience and he doesn't want to feel guilty anymore? No. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, this is the Christian motive for sanctification. This is the Christian motive for growing in righteousness. Not fear of the law, not fear of condemnation, but recognizing the fullness that we have already entered into in Christ Jesus. Beloved, our putting to death of the old man Our being done with sin, our being done with worldly ways is not something that we are somehow accomplishing in our own strength, trying to approach God, trying to get closer to him. No, we have come in to Christ Jesus. And when we have come into Christ Jesus, that means that we have come in to this broad and beautiful land. We have come into this perfect place. And so now, what the process of sanctification is, is it's exploring this land. It's going and trying to uncover all the riches and all the treasure that are already there for us. Right? Our holiness is not something that has not yet been accomplished that we're working towards. Our holiness is something that is accomplished that we just get to find out, that we get to discover, we get to explore. Because it's already there in Christ Jesus. And so what this means, beloved, is that when we come to Christ, we come to perfect rest. We come to perfect peace. And then when we find that perfect rest, when we find that perfect peace, we suddenly find that we have strength, we have energy to live a new day, to fight the good fight one more day. Again, not because hell is nipping at our heels, but because the grace of God has been poured out on us so abundantly that we just want to know all the goodness that God has already poured out on us. 
And so this brings us to a very curious reality that's expressed to us in the New Testament. Now, Jesus, when he instituted the the Lord's Supper, he instituted that Lord's Supper as the Passover meal. He had gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, and it was that night that he instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, What's very curious about this is as we read in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord's Supper was to be eaten standing up with your belt around your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in hand. And yet, when we read about how Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples in the New Testament, we read that they reclined at the table, quite contrary to what Exodus chapter 12 says. In fact, John 13.25 maybe describes this most sweetly in talking about the disciple John himself. It says, So that disciple, John, reclining against Jesus, spoke to him. Just picture that right now, that Jesus was at the Passover meal with his disciples. The disciples would have been accustomed to eating this meal, standing up, ready to go. And yet Jesus here invites John, invites the disciples, invites you and I to recline upon his chest, to rest at the table with him, not to take up our own efforts, not to take up our own goodness, our own reputation, our own ideas or goals or ambitions, but rather to let all those things die, the death that they so rightly deserve to die, and to take upon us that beautiful, finished garment of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And beloved, when we take that garment upon us, then we know rest for our souls. And when we know that rest, then we eagerly don't want to remain any longer in the land of work that is Egypt. And the land of sin and the land of death. No, we want to be done with that place. And we want to enter into that perfect rest that Christ has won for us. And so this morning, I exhort you to, instead of having a belt on your waist, being ready to go, earning your own righteousness, will you instead recline against Jesus at that Passover table? And as you recline against Jesus, Will you let Jesus himself shepherd you out of this death land of Egypt and into the promised land of the presence of God? Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we praise you that there is nothing left for us to accomplish, that you have truly paid it all. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning for accomplishing what none of us could accomplish, for accomplishing what, if you had not done, we would all still be dead in our sins. There would still be no hope in this world. And yet, because you have come, because you have paid the full price, and because you have invited us to rest in you, we can now know life and peace and joy and rest forever and ever. And so we praise you, God, and we pray that you would help us this morning to enter into that rest. Help us to cast off the works of darkness, the works of slavery, and to enter into the rest that is faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look to you now, we look to you with eyes of faith. Would you hear us as we pray, as we confess our sins to you, and as we intercede for ourselves and for the world around us? Hear us now, God.